Romans chapter 12, and it's entitled Living Sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each view has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I wonder how you feel uh, when uh, you realize that someone's actions don't really uh, reflect the things that they believe. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I got uh, the first CD that Jamiroquai ever brought out. Um, And in the inlay notes of that, J.K., who was a real uh, hero of mine at the time, uh, was waxing eco-righteous in quite a big way. And and don't get me wrong, I'm very supportive of that. But I think what surprised me over the following years, as he became extraordinarily wealthy, uh, was the barnful of supercars that he bought, each one of which had the you know, the carbon footprint of a small country. Um, and of course, it's not, it's not normal to start a sermon with a criticism like that. So I, I, I don't mean to judge him. I have no idea what I would do if I became that wealthy. And obviously, I haven't had the chance to chat to him about how we might line those up. But the point is that the way we live is the real measure of what we really believe, what the end goal is that we're serving. And that's uh, what our passage speaks into this evening. And it starts with this very arresting image, an image of death, an image of execution. Therefore, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. And this evening, we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at this image itself. Um, And uh, I think what we'll find is the rest of the passage uh, actually flows out quite naturally from understanding this image. Um, And we're going to look at this image from three angles. Firstly, we're going to look at it sort of straight on. How do we experience this image? Secondly, we're going to to look at it in the light of all that's gone before it in the book of Romans. Uh, What associations has Paul already created for us in this image? 
And third, we're going to look through the image to the final chapters of, uh, of Romans. In fact, just the next few verses in reality this evening. Um, and as we do that, we're going to look at it in the company of a few different characters. Of course, there's Paul himself, the guy that's written the book. Uh, Paul's never been to Rome, uh, but he's hoping to come soon. Um, and that's partly because he wants to launch his mission to Spain from Rome. Um, but he's conscious that there are some problems with the church in Rome. Um, the second person we have is, uh, this is Hannah. Hannah is a member of the church in Rome, uh, and uh, to, to which Paul is writing to, and we'll hear a bit more about her a little later. And then we also have this chap. This is Uncle Yaakov, um, and he's an ancestor of Hannah's. He's uh, living at the time of Moses, a member of the people of Israel. Um, and the stories of an- on Uncle Yaakov's days uh, would have been very much alive in the mind of Hannah as she read this book. Um, of course, these both characters are, in fact, fictional, just in case anyone is, uh, is worried. And then the, the next character is definitely not fictional, and that's teenage Jez. Um, that's me. Uh, at a time when I was just starting to understand a little bit of what it meant to sacrifice things for what I believe in, I, uh, I was going to put an image of myself as a teenager looking very 80s, which was depressing because I was a child in the 90s. Um, but... Uh, uh, but I couldn't find any to scan in, so I've saved you that. Um, but a little bit about my story. I was, uh, I, I was a chubby, unsporty kid and teenager. I was the kind of person that the Christians in sports guys would have bullied before they met Jesus. Um, and, uh, and I really struggled. I moved, we moved back from Africa when I was uh, about 12, and I really struggled to integrate into life in the UK, really to make friends. My salvation was in the form of a bass guitar. Um, I started to play bass, and I, I turned out to be relatively good at it. Um, and, uh, and I eventually ended up in a band called Vivid, um, and we thought we were the bee's knees. And in fact, we really became the sort of center of the social circles of our school networks. And so suddenly, life uh, looked very different for me. I was, I was part of the core of the whole social circles of not only my school, but other, other schools in small town Berkhamsted, which is where uh, we lived at the time. Um, and of course, with being in a band like that went a whole lot of uh, uh, slightly questionable lifestyle elements. Um, the, the lyrics uh, of the band uh, were, were, were truly uh, unhelpful. Let's just leave it, leave it at that. Um, uh, so I, I was to a large degree living something of a double life um, and then I realized that it was all going to come to a head when a gig that we were going we were going to do a gig in a venue where the manager of the venue knew my father suddenly I couldn't live this double life any longer and I had to uh, make a choice and I have this very clear memory of walking down Berkhamsted High Street um, uh, with my friends when I realized that I faced a choice. Could I risk losing the band with everything that it represented for me uh, simply for what I believed? So uh, let's crack on with our first angle uh, of the three. Uh, just simply, we're going to look at this image for a moment. How do we experience this image of being a living sacrifice? Um, I think... Uh, it's, it's, it probably depends on how many sacrifices you've been present at. 
Um, and probably it's not that many. But of course, for Hannah, she had been present at, at a sacrifice or two. And this would have been an image that was, that was very rich in experience, in smells, in sounds, in story. We're going to spend just a minute or two trying to recapture a little bit of what that might have meant. Imagine that you are Uncle Yaakov, um, and uh, you're offering your sacrifice of atonement at the tent of meeting. That's a, that's a sacrifice which you made uh, in which the, 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 the animal is killed in your place uh, to pay for the wrong ways that you've lived your life. Um, so Yaakov, he uh, selects his prize young bull because it had to be a perfect specimen. Um, uh, it's, I mean, this animal would have won the bovine equivalent of crufts. And uh, off he goes with the bull to the tent. Then he lays his hands on the bull's head as a sign that it is to be accepted on his behalf. Um, and he slaughters it. Then the priests would have splashed uh, the blood against the sides of the altar and then Yaakov would have skinned the animal and cut it into pieces. The priest at this point would have uh, put fire on the altar and lit the altar um, and arranged the pieces on the altar. Uh, Yaakov at this point would then uh, wash the internal organs of the animal um, and they too would be added to uh, what was burning up. So everything would have gone on to the altar. Everything was burnt, even the head and as the meat burns, of course, Uncle Yakov smells the smell of roasting. Um, and it is this which the writer to Leviticus refers to as, as an aroma which is pleasing to the Lord. It's a sign that it's been accepted. So it's a, it's a truly shocking image, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure you're really glad you came out this evening to hear uh, a story like that. Um, I think in our North Oxford context, it feels particularly barbaric, doesn't it? Um, but it gets worse than that. Now, you've got to imagine that you, in fact, are that bull. Uh, Uncle Yaakov is leading you on a rope to the tent where you are to be slaughtered uh, and dissected and thrown onto the fire. This is Paul's image of the Christian life. Let's look at just a, an artistic uh, interpretation of of, uh, of the idea of sacrifice. There's obviously, obviously a lot of these, especially during the Renaissance. This is just called Agnes Dei by an artist called Zubaran. What's this, what's this image about? Well, what on earth is Paul asking of us? Maybe let's take a moment of quiet just to think about, well, what do we imagine uh, Paul might be saying as we look at this image? It might be interesting to see what answers came back from you, but I think the main thing uh, for me is that it's an image of total self-giving, of total self-emptying. Uh, it is the resignation of death itself. So what on earth does this mean? Surely the whole point of the good news about Jesus is that there's nothing that we need to contribute to our salvation, to our restoring of relationship with God. So why on earth would Paul use this image, this image of a sacrifice of atonement? Has Paul forgotten the mercies of God? Uh, well, to understand what Paul's doing, we're going to need to backtrack through the book a little bit and uh, place this passage in context of the rest of the book. And that's the second angle we're going to look at the, the uh, image from. 
So if we look at the start of our passage, we see simply therefore in view of God's mercy. So Paul hasn't forgotten about the mercy of God. In fact, this whole idea comes out of the mercy of God. Our passage is in the middle of a letter, so of course we need to, uh, we're joining a conversation and in order to prevent ourselves from sort of picking up on fag ends, we need to know what the conversation has gone on beforehand. Um, and in fact, what we find is that these verses are a key transition in the whole book of Romans. Uh, Paul's been explaining the gospel over the first 11 chapters of the book, and, uh, and he now turns to application. How does the story of the first 11 chapters affect the way we act? And in some ways, this verse is the verse, it's a lens which focuses the light of the first 11 chapters onto chapters 12 through to 15. And that's why we're spending so much time on this particular verse. Let me give you an overview. We can't, you'll be glad to know we're not going to do an overview of the first 11 chapters of uh, Romans, partly because uh, the, my, old, my Roman supervisor has just left to go and look after the young people, so, uh, so I'm not being examined anymore. Um, but here's, uh, here's just a few things. Uh, first, a couple of points of background to Hannah and her friends um, in, in the church in Rome. A few years before uh, this, Hannah, who's a Jew, was thrown out by Emperor Claudius from Rome. All the Jews were thrown out from Rome. Uh, and, uh, and so the church in Rome developed without a strong Jewish influence, which is quite unusual in, in those days. Eventually, Claudius dies, and uh, these Jewish Christians like Hannah return to Rome to find a church that looks quite different and alien from what they are used to. Um, And they're starting to struggle to integrate uh, with the church that's now established there. Um, And and this is exacerbated by uh, misunderstandings of the gospel on both sides, um, which makes them each, each side feel like they are a little superior to the other. So Paul starts his book by wanting to correct their understanding of the gospel and help them understand, uh, uh, help them express the gospel in the way that they relate to each other and live in the world. So he starts by explaining that we're all on a level playing field. God has shown himself uh, to everyone and we are all responsible uh, to, uh, for responding to him from that revelation. If you, even if you've never read the Bible, God has revealed enough about himself uh, that uh, in creation that we should be able to recognize him. But none of us do recognize him, and none of us respond to God in the way which is worthy of him. And this evokes the anger of God, God's righteous anger towards us. And that's, that's a very potted summary of chapters uh, 1 to 3. And I realize that there are some really difficult ideas in there that we don't have time to really explore at this point. But that's an opportunity, maybe over coffee, to chat about uh, some of the more challenging ideas that, are, that I've just mentioned. Um, uh, but God then puts in place a rescue mission uh, which is available to all of us alike. And we see that in uh, Romans 3. Can you read that? It's, you're welcome to turn to it in your, in your Bibles as well, of course. Uh, but keep a thumb in chapter 12. Let me read this. The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and non-Jew, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Do you notice echoes um, at the end there of our image of the sacrifice? Uh, there's, uh, there's echoes of Uncle Yakov's story with the bull. What we find is that Jesus is the sacrifice through which we're made right with God. So whatever Paul means back in Romans 12, he doesn't mean that we somehow are, have the, the job of the sacrifice that reconciles us with God. Jesus has already done that um, by dying in our place, very much like that bull um, for Uncle Yakov or uh, the uh, Zubaran's lamb. So the question then remains, does it matter how we live? If we're saved, despite all the wrong things that we might do, why bother stopping doing them? In fact, surely the more wrong things we do, the, uh, the more dramatic the effect of the cross must be. Um, this, I think, is a little bit about how, uh, of how teenage Jez probably was thinking as he walked down the high street. Uh, but what we find is that Paul's already preempted this. We see in Romans 6 that he says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For if we have been united with him in a, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. It's a slight edit of the first few verses of chapter 6. In other words, through uh, the death of Jesus, we're welcomed into a whole different life. To live the old life would be a nonsense. Uh, we are to die to the old life. Um, it's as if the, 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 our response to the gospel mirrors the shape of the gospel, just as Jesus died and rose again. So we are to die to the old life and be raised to the new life. As we look at the cross, um, in, there's a sense in which we see Christ there in our place. That's the, the message of, of, of chapter 3. He is our sacrifice of atonement. But there's also a sense in which we see ourselves there with Christ, dying uh, to the way we used to live. And that's a little bit more of the essence of chapter 6. And actually, for Uncle Yakov, some of this stuff might not have been as, uh, as foreign as we might think. Um, of course, he came a long time before Jesus, so uh, he wouldn't have understood this all fully. But this, post this is actually the posture of the Levitical law um, that he lived under. His sacrifice uh, of a bull lets him remain part of the people of God despite his sin. Uh, but having been allowed to stay as part of the people of God, it would just make no sense if he refused to live in a way that, that, that identified himself as part of that people. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, as we've just had a very potted history of, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice dead to the old life, yet alive to God's new life. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, literally it, the schematics, uh, the worldviews of this world, because you've died to them. Uh, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Uh, that word transformed uh, is the same word we use for metamorphosis. Uh, so you might like that image, the complete change of going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's, that's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Um, it's, it's also uh, an image of the transfiguration in uh, Luke 9, if you know that story. Um, it's as if our old gray clothes are to be transfigured into the dazzling white of Jesus on the mount with Elijah and Moses. It goes on, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, what are the schematics of this world? What are the uh, values of this world which blind you to the will of God? What about teenage Jez walking down Berkhamsted High Street? What were the things uh, that I needed to recognize? Um, I, needed to, I needed to recognize that I was, in fact, conforming uh, to the values of my, the friends around me. I was conforming to their, their love of popularity. They were slaves to excess. They were slaves to uh, trying to pull. I mean, I have to admit, I was no Brad Pitt, so I didn't have terribly high expectations in that department. But those were the values that were being lived out among uh, my friends. I had to be willing to sacrifice myself uh, to these things, to die to them. You might, you might want to know what, what happened. Well, um, eventually I, I did pluck up the courage to chat to my friends, and I, and I told them that I wasn't prepared to play in the band unless we uh, cleaned up the lyrics. Um, and to my surprise, um, they begrudgingly agreed to clean up the lyrics and let me stay. Though I do, it's, nothing's ever simple, is it? Because I remember the next gig, the, 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 the lead singer was a little high on the adrenaline of the event and took great celebration in using the old lyrics when there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. But, uh, but that's, that's, that's the reality of the world we live in, isn't it? Um, but, but it had been an incredibly important lesson to me uh, about what it looks like to be willing to sacrifice the things that, that according to the world, you're supposed to hold dear, willing to be willing to sacrifice them for what you believe in. What about you? What are the things uh, that uh, you see in uh, your friends around you that it's tempting to conform to? What are the ways in which you need to be transformed out of uh, the worldviews and values of your friendship groups. Let's take, let's take a moment of quiet to think about that. That brings us finally to the third angle that we're going to view this image from, and that's going to be looking through the image to uh, what goes uh, beyond it. Um, if, if we were to read the, the whole of chapters 12 through to 15, we'd find that actually to be a living sacrifice informs the way we do anything in life. It talks about the, how we relate to those who persecute us, how we relate to those who lead or govern us 
how we relate to those who, are, who need our help, uh, how we are supposed to act on a night out. It even tells us how we're supposed to deal with dinner with vegetarians, which I have to say is a big problem for me. That's a profound issue. Um, it's not really. I've got very good friends who are vegetarians. Um, but it's all there. All of these, all, you know, Paul, Paul really helps us to understand that being a living sacrifice impacts all sorts of areas of our life. Uh, what we're going to focus in on is just over the next few verses, um, how we relate to ourselves, and then finally, how we relate to our Christian community. So firstly, um, how we relate to ourselves. Uh, that is simply uh, a matter of humility, isn't it? Do not think, this is verse 3, do not think of yourself uh, more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There's nothing about being a living sacrifice uh, that allows you to boast. There's nothing glamorous uh, about being uh, bound and uh, uh, tied up on the altar. Uh, It's an image of total giving up of self-importance. So maybe let's take a moment, again, just to think about the next 24 hours uh, of our lives, uh, where we're going to be, what are the moments where you might struggle uh, to be humble and not self-important. Maybe uh, in trying to bag a seat on the bus or the train. Maybe the way you uh, treat other people at the till at Sainsbury's how you act in meetings or in classes or on the sports field. Brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then secondly, um, our attitude uh, to uh, the church, and that can really be summed up in just the idea of serving others, uh, just um, as, uh, as, as Paul introduced what we were going to be talking about. We've finally got there. Um, it's about allowing ourselves uh, to be given to each other. This is the natural working of humility, isn't it? Uh, we are to be bound to each other in loving service. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. Uh, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So again, uh, just as we close, let's take another moment of quiet just to think about our gifts. What is it that you uh, want to bring to the rest of this community? You might want to look through verses 6 to 8, see if anything resonates. But if, don't worry if it doesn't. That's a, that's, a, those, that's a list of examples. That's not an exhaustive list. But what are the ways you could be living out the idea of being a living sacrifice in the ways that you serve the rest of us? Let me pray for us as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the supreme sacrifice of Christ, our Paschal Lamb. I uh, 
I thank you that there's nothing that we need to add to what he has done. We thank you that you have given us this new life through that. And I pray that you would give us the courage to live into that new life, that you would help us to transform our attitudes and that that would issue in genuine humility and service to the rest of the community. In your name, amen.